Hi, and welcome to the FDI podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Charles Hecker, Senior Partner at Control Risks, one of the world's leading political risk consultancies. Thank you for joining us, Charles. Sebastian, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. In today's show, we'll be discussing politics and foreign direct investment. More specifically, we'll be looking at some countries from the FDI report 2019. Charles, if you could just say a few words on the relationship between foreign investment and politics. Yeah, Sebastian, it's really interesting. These days, we've seen geopolitics rise very much to the top of board agendas when it comes to thinking about where and how and how much and when to invest. Um, and issues of political risk uh, and the geopolitical environment that we're in today around the world, questions of integrity risk involving corruption and questions of operational risk. Um, all of these really are having their moment in the sun. Um, I think we still recognize that the world is full of opportunity, and we can see that by some of the amazing figures in the FDI report this year. But at the same time, companies before taking a leap into a foreign market, I think, are doing it with an increased level of caution and with an increased amount of homework and prep before making the move. Thank you, Charles. For those who don't know, the FDI report 2019 was released two months ago, and it looks at the last year of greenfield foreign investment around the world based on FDI markets, the world's leading foreign investment monitor. This year's report highlights that in 2018, there was a 7% increase in greenfield FDI. Charles and I will be discussing eight countries, two from each region, and we'll begin with Asia Pacific. According to the FDI report, foreign direct investment into Asia Pacific increased by 19% in 2018. We're going to look at Vietnam, and we'll begin with the fact that foreign investment increased by 26% in 2018. So Charles, could you talk a little about the uh, the underlying political context? Yeah, thanks, Sebastian. There's some really interesting news coming out of Vietnam. I mean, two primary observations to make, and that is that Vietnam is one of the countries that is a primary beneficiary, if you will, of some of the enhanced political risk associated with China. And so Vietnam is capturing quite a lot of foreign direct investment, quite a lot of inbound investment as a result of investors in Asia seeking an enhanced level of security, if you will, um, around their investments there and moving away from China, which, as we know, is, is engrossed in a trade war with the United States and seeking the slightly more calmer climate of Vietnam. Uh, there was a political transition in Vietnam in 2016. And we were at the time concerned that that transition might put at risk the generally speaking favorable climate towards foreign investment in the country. Um, but so far, we have not seen any real move away from Vietnam's ongoing stance of welcoming foreign investment and generally being um, an accommodating country for foreign capital. So the National Assembly in late 2018 um, ratified, for example, the reformulated TPP, which is now known as the CPTPP, um, and that harmonizes Vietnam's approach towards international trade with the rest of Asia. Um, and that was a fairly 
positive mood. So among Asian countries, we're looking at Vietnam as a fairly bright spot. Fantastic. Thank you, Charles. In other news in Asia Pacific, FDI into Uzbekistan significantly increased last year with the number of projects rising from nine in 2017 to a whopping 52 in 2018. So what's behind that rather impressive increase? That's right. From a fairly low start, Uzbekistan has really come on. And we are cautiously optimistic about Uzbekistan. It is still an incredibly complex environment for international investors and requires quite a lot of due diligence and quite a lot of homework before investing. Um, but we're seeing areas of growth and emphasis in the Uzbekistan government in energy, uh, but also in the automotive sector, in retail, and in services. We're encouraged by a new emphasis in, in Uzbekistan on defending intellectual property rights which we know is an area of primary concern for investors. And we see these measures in the context of a broader drive by President Shafkat Mirziyoyev to reduce some of the more significant barriers to foreign investment and successful business activity in Uzbekistan. We think this trend will continue uh, as a result of Uzbekistan's desire to join the WTO in the next few years. So by and large, um, an improving trend, reasons for optimism, but don't forget the healthy dose, dose of caution. Fantastic, thank you, Charles. Moving on to Europe, foreign investment decreased by 2% last year in terms of projects. However, capital investment increased by 30%. Let's talk about the UK, Charles. Last year, the UK was the top destination for FDI in Europe gaining an overall market share of 21%. So what's underlying that? So, Sebastian, you're right that the report shows that the UK is indeed the strongest market for FDI in Europe. And it has, if I'm not mistaken, pretty much always been in the number one position. The question really is how much longer the UK is going to remain the most attractive place for foreign investment in Europe as a result of, wait for it, Brexit. Moving on to Spain, foreign direct investment into the country increased by 39% in terms of project numbers last year. So Charles, um, what can we say about perhaps an improving political context or maybe not? Well, Spain is a bit of a movable feast right now. And again, as the time of the recording of this podcast, Spain is making us guess a little bit about its future. There is a certain amount of deadlock in the coalition negotiations to form a government following recent elections there. Uh, and we think that the likelihood is increasing of yet another general election in Spain. Uh, there are disagreements between Pedro Sanchez and his center-left Spanish Socialist Workers Party, and any and all of its potential formal and informal coalition partners, and a breakthrough remains unlikely in the coming weeks. Um, as a result, it's our concern that Sanchez is unlikely to get the necessary parliamentary support that he needs to be invested as prime minister once again, 
uh, and it's probably going to come down to general elections in November. That is our increasingly likely forecast for Spain. It's a long, hot summer in Madrid. We're not quite sure what's going to come out of the capital in the coming few weeks. Um, but unless there is significant movement um, in negotiations to form a coalition, Spanish voters will once again be going to the polls. Thanks, Charles. Going on to Latin America and the Caribbean, the FDI report highlights that the number of FDI projects into the continent increased by 33% last year. Looking more closely at Colombia, there was a 123% increase in the number of projects they saw last year, a, a huge amount. So what's behind that, Charles? Well, I think that Colombia has, since the establishment of the new peace accords, Colombia is really starting to move forward economically. Um, I thought while we were talking about Colombia, we'd focus on an area of some concern about the Colombian environment that we think might be misplaced. And that is that there is quite a lot of concern in the investment community and the international business community about the impact of Venezuela on Colombia. Uh, and we've heard projections that the refugee crisis in Venezuela has the potential to become as big, if not bigger, than the refugee crisis from Syria, um, with the number of refugees leaving Venezuela um, set to increase the number of, of refugees fleeing conflict in the Middle East. What's interesting, though, is that we do not anticipate any significant economic setback in Colombia as a result of the crisis in its neighbor. The cost to Colombia of absorbing Venezuelan refugees and migrants is so far manageable. Moreover, most of the people who are leaving Venezuela and crossing the border into Colombia are of working age. And Colombia seems reasonably, reasonably well-equipped to absorb those individuals and put them to work. Uh, so there really is a sort of possible hidden economic plus in migration into Colombia. Uh, and, and we feel that some of the international concern about the extent of the refugee crisis and its economic and political impact on Colombia may be exaggerated. So I thought I would just bring that to light, if only just to put it to rest a little bit. Thank you, Charles. Argentina also saw a, a resurgent year. So the country witnessed a 78% increase in project numbers last year. Going forward, what should investors be thinking about? Yeah, going forward, all eyes on Argentina because we've got elections coming up. And this comes, of course, in the wake of a national power outage, a national blackout in Argentina that threw tens of millions of people, more than 50 million people in Argentina, Uruguay, and parts of Paraguay and Chile threw everybody into the dark uh, and cast a bit of a shadow, literally, over the country from an economic perspective. Um, we think that for the elections coming up, we see a very polarized, tense political environment. Our analysts down in South America tell me that they are forecasting a Macri victory, a narrow victory, likely in the second round of voting, and then by and large, uh, policy continuity, including, we hope, 
renewed investment in infrastructure, particularly in power generation, transmission and distribution, and a recovery from the scenario that brought us that devastating blackout. Now, going to Middle East and Africa, foreign direct investment increased by 7% last year in terms of project number. Nigeria saw a 49% increase in terms of the project numbers it received last year from foreign direct investment. So, Charles, um, a little, of the, little on the political context behind that and what investors should be um, aware of going forward. Yeah, really strong figures coming out of Nigeria, and that's very encouraging news. Nigeria is Africa's largest economy, and it is impossible to overlook as a target for inbound investment. Um, probably not for the faint of heart um, investing in Nigeria, and, and certainly political, economic, and security challenges ahead. What we have noticed in Nigeria and our analysts from in-country there tell me that, that the pace of government business in Nigeria is picking up quite a bit uh, in light of improved relations between the executive and the legislative branches in the capital in Abuja. Um, and that's encouraging to see the government focus on driving ahead its agenda. There's no question that there will be difficulties ahead, but for the first time in the long time, we've got the executive and the legislature pulling in the same direction, and that has got to be a bright spot for investors. Indeed. Cote d'Ivoire saw a 68% increase in the number of foreign investment projects it received last year. So once again, a, a little on that, please. Yeah, Cote d'Ivoire has really bounced back impressively since it came out of a decade of political instability. In 2011, there's been significant public investment in infrastructure. Uh, there's been renewed private investor interest as the FDI report shows, uh, closer collaboration with international institutions, and some of the highest domestic growth, rate, growth rates in the world. Um, again, we've got elections coming up in Cote d'Ivoire next year. I don't think uh, we're ready to call those elections or give you a forecast on that. Um, there is always, in the run-up to elections, the risk of a return to a certain amount of political instability. But we think that economic recovery and growth will remain significant priorities in Cote d'Ivoire and the government will maintain its largely investor-friendly attitude. Thank you, Charles. It's, it's incontrovertible that investors, the private sector, governments cannot dismiss uh, any political context when, when investing in another country. Thanks for joining us, Charles. It's a pleasure. Thank you. That was this episode of the FDI podcast. If you'd like to listen, read or watch more of our content, you can find it on fdiintelligence.com. Until next time. Thank you. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
for full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.